I'd like to welcome the representative from the from Kirkwood's Democracy Commitment Group. Dave? Good, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is David McMahon. I'm a professor of history here at Kirkwood Community College and campus coordinator for the Democracy Commitment. In case you get lost, my office is right over there, just so you know. The Democracy Commitment is a national initiative engaging community college students in civic learning and democratic practice. The goal of the Democracy Commitment is that every graduate of a U.S. community college will have an education in democracy. Tonight's event is one of many we are hosting with community partners throughout the year. In addition to faculty presentations and expert speakers, we are planning an economic inequality summit in the spring. As part of that summit, we'll be conducting a deliberative dialogue, which is a particular way of bringing the community together uh, to discuss important problems. It'll be titled, Making Ends Meet, How Should We Spread Prosperity and Improve Opportunity? This is a national issues forum sponsored by the Kettering Foundation. We'd very much like your participation. So those of you who came tonight, you're perfectly welcome to come back in the spring. If you want any more information about it, please contact me. Those of us who teach, work, and learn here at Kirkwood welcome you. Community colleges are democracy's colleges. Kirkwood's mission reflects democratic values by holding forth the possibility of a college education to everyone in particular, those who have been otherwise excluded from other institutions. Because we educate people who come from and often remain in our community, we are peculiarly placed to influence the way politics plays out in our community. Our main goal is to work at what one scholar calls wicked problems of democracy, such as racial injustice, by working across differences. At a time when so many people are losing confidence in our political institutions and lack trust in one another, it is important that we not fall prey to apathy or cynicism. If our country is in crisis, let us resolve to do better. At Kirkwood, we are working hard to create a more perfect community. We are assuming our rightful place at the center of civic education and democratic renewal in the community. Again, let me say we are glad you are here we're grateful for the opportunity to make you feel at home in our commons, your commons area here tonight. Finally, if I may, the Racial Justice Forum tonight here is timely. The recrudescence, if you will, of racial intolerance is everywhere to be seen in America. Charlottesville, public reactions to the NFL anthem protests, the White House, the seeming rollback on voting rights and other issues some of us thought were resolved years ago. Let this forum be exemplary of our community. Let it show everyone how Iowa City comes together to address problems, how we hear diverse and dissenting voices and seek common ground, how we take responsibility for being the change we seek, and by so doing, play a pivotal role in transforming the future of American politics and in how we work raise our families, and live our lives. Thank you again for attending. We very much welcome you, and thanks again for being good citizens.
Okay, I'm not quite sure if I'm supposed to introduce myself, but I will. <laughs> I don't want to be too long-winded. That's one of the things that people say is my MO. But I'm Marion Coleman. I'm a longtime resident of Iowa City. Worked in the school district for 100 years. And, <laughs> and I am a member of the Black Voices Project, have collaborated with the group that is presenting or represented tonight here also, Coalition for Racial Justice. And I would like to welcome you again. Uh, David did a very nice job of, of welcoming you, but I'd like to say welcome to this forum. I um, was the equity director for the Iowa City Community School District, and I served in that position for 25 years, but I served in the district for 40 years. So I'm an old timer around here, and I I'm so happy that Iowa City can see fit to have these kind of opportunities for the community to come out and give their opinions of how we're doing, or give us a report card. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the candidates will introduce themselves, and they will have three minutes to give their introduction. We'll ask four questions to be answered by each of the candidates. The questions will also appear on the screen so that everyone here can see what they are. You will have two minutes to respond. And a timekeeper will let you know when you have one minute left and then when you have 15 seconds left and when you are done. So right now, I would like to have the candidates introduce themselves. And Sarah asked me to talk about where they were going to be hoping to go after the election, which district. But I think I'll let them do that. Hopefully that won't take up all of their three minutes. Kingsley? Thank you. So, uh, good evening. Uh, I want to give a quick thank you and shout out. Uh, thank you, Marion Coleman. Um, she's very um, important to me and um, the work that I do not only in the school district, but also as a mentor for me. So thank you for not only moderating and be being here. Thank you to the community here as well. Uh, many of you um, have been supporters, um, have been um, just helpful in uh, my deliberation on council um, and just in my life in general. And so I just want to say thank you uh, for that. To Kirkwood for the space and uh, the, to the greater um, Iowa City community because I know we're being taped and televised. Um, you may see me do some uh, some shifts to my left. My son's here, and uh, right now I'm babysitting and talking to you today. And so he has a video on, but I wanted to make sure that you know that I may be shifting my focus uh, at times. Um, uh, this is a great community. Uh, this is a wonderful community. I, uh, I came here about 10 years ago and went to law school for three years and graduated in 2010. I love this community. Uh, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't raise my son and have my family here if that wasn't the case. But frequently in the last, uh, I would say a couple of months and in general when people ask me uh, my particular opinion about Iowa City, I'm, I'm very frank and I, I believe it's uh, truly a tale of two cities. Um, there is a, a progressive um, push in this community that I absolutely love and um, endear to, um, and that's why I stay. Um, but there's also um, uh, systemic inequality at its core that happens on a regular basis um, in this community. Uh, some of the things that I've done on a council perspective um, uh, in my at-large seat, and I'm running again for re-election in that at-large seat as well, is uh, working hard for a passage of a first inclusionary zoning ordinance in the history of Iowa, passage of a 
excuse me, passage of a wage theft ordinance that doesn't get as much um, airplay, but um, is very important as far as how we progress. Introduction of a racial and socioeconomic toolkit um, that has um, helped six of our departments in the Iowa City community. Creation of affordable housing fund with over $1 million. Creation of a task force to reduce the number of food insecure families in Johnson County. Creation of a fund to support racial equity issues in Iowa City. Uh, we have been doing some work. Um, but again, that work isn't important um, without you. That work isn't um, there without you. And so, again, my thank you. And uh, and I want to continue in that work. I want to continue looking at affordable housing and deepening our understanding of how we can um, end this crisis. I want to continue in the work um, looking at economic development, not only economic development for um, the people that are, are currently benefiting from it, but also from our underrepresented groups, our women, our people of color, having more business owners, being truly progressive from that mindset. And thank last you, but not thank least. you. Thank, I hate to cut you off. However, we do have some questions, and when you are done, perhaps someone else will address the issues that you have just mentioned. One of the questions, number one, and oh, I'm wait, so. Hold on, sorry. Oh. Um, do you do you want to have everyone talk, introduce themselves first? Yes, please. I, he distracted me. Don't distract me. Is that a time? <laughs> you have, would you like to finish up? You yeah. Have about, you have about 15 more seconds. I thought I did. I was worried. Okay. Um, I got you here. All right. I'm accustomed to telling young men to stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, um, but My yeah, sons. just just in those uh, you know the last fifteen seconds, um, you know, addressing mental health is another important um, piece of my um, campaign. Uh, and again, just connecting with you, you know, it's important that we connect. It's important that we move forward on these discussions. And I'm proud to be your counselor now, and hopefully in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Kingsley. Hi, everyone. I'm really glad to be here. I'm seeing like uh, many familiar faces and many beautiful new faces. Uh, my name is Mazahar Saleh. I think I can just tell you a little bit about myself for the people who don't, don't know me here. Okay. I, my name is Mazahar Saleh. I came to this country 20 years ago. I, when I came, I came with a civil engineering degree looking for a new opportunity, just travel half the global to, uh, to come here. In, uh, I landed in Virginia where I really you know, worked there hard as a low-wage worker and started my family. Met my husband there, start my family, and uh, become a U.S. citizen. And in uh, like six years ago, I decided to look for an opportunity of a career, and I look up Kirkwood Community College for Electroneurodiagnostic Technology (EEG). That's why I came to to Iowa City. I came to study, and I promised my like friend in Virginia I would be back in Virginia in two years. But when I came here, I really fell in love with Iowa City, and I decided to stay. You know, the people treat me very good as a neighbor from the first place. I love this community. I love the people who live here. That's why I decided to stay here. And if the time went to the bus, I will come from Sudan direct to Iowa City. <laughs> and uh, when I came to Iowa City, I met people who were really passionate about what I'm really passionate about, social justice and worker justice. So together we found the Center for Worker Justice. I've been working there. <laughs> While I'm studying, I was working volunteer at the Center for Worker Justice. Like, I served as a vice president for two years, president for, uh, for one year, and after that I become a full-time organizer right now. I did graduate from Kirkwood Community College, like one of the top of my class, 
with four billion LA GBA, I like Kirkwood Community College, and I graduated in electroencephalographic, where I am now working as on call at the University of uh, Iowa Hospital and Clinic. You know, through my work at the Center for Worker Justice, we just bring people together from different backgrounds in many issues. We bring people together to raise the minimum wage in Iowa City yes. to 1010. <laughs> we bring people together to implement the first community ID in the Midwest, one of the first community ID in the Midwest, for years now improving the relationship between the police and minority in this community. Uh, we, we brought people like developer, business people, and, and the residents in this community to sit down together and do like so, solve uh, affordable housing problem. My three campaign, because I see 15 seconds, uh, my three campaign issues is affordable housing, transportation, and economic development for all. Thank you. Hello, um, I'm Angela Wenicke and I'm running for city council at large. I grew up in Iowa City, uh, graduated from West High and the University of Iowa, and chose to stay here because I love this community. Um, Iowa City is a big part of why I um, am successful in standing in front of you. I had um, parents who worked in the service industry as I was growing up and worked two jobs while they put them through school and I spent a lot of my time downtown in the library and participating in various events in Iowa City and the community helped raise me into the person I am and I feel a need to serve this community um, and that is why I'm running for City Council. I think that everyone in this room especially is very aware of a lot of the social injustice issues that we uh, need to talk about. I think that's one of the biggest um, barriers. It's a simple one. We all have mouths that move. We can talk about it and we don't. Um, and I think that the people who are sitting in front of you are a very good representation of who should represent our community. Um, I'm not running against either one of these two candidates. I think that anyone who is elected into office um, will serve and represent our entire community well. Um, and I think that that is the change that needs to happen um, at our city county, state, and national level uh, is that we need more people of color, women of color, um, and young voices representing um, our entire community as a whole. The issues that I care dearly about um, are creating um, opportunities for people in our community, our young voices, people in the university that make up a large percentage of this community and give back to it, as well as um, creating those platforms where people can have conversations and have access to leadership in our community so that they can voice their concerns and issues. Sorry, um, like, makes me nervous when I see someone flash a sign. Um, and I think maintaining and keeping our community as open and welcome as we can for people of all backgrounds. Um, <coughs> Sorry, like super nervous and I don't know why, more than usual. Um, but I don't know, I think that um, anyone who wants to serve a community should be able to um, learn and grow with that community and that is why I wanted to serve on city council. Thank you. Hello everyone and good evening. My name is Ryan Hall. I'm running for city council in district B. 
And I want to give a huge shout out to the Black Voices Project, to Kirkwood Community College, to the Coalition for Racial Justice, for City Channel 4. And I want to welcome you all tonight and to really thank you for showing up tonight because we're showing up for something crucially important in our community because I agree with what Kingsley had said that we live in a tale of two cities kind of community. Whether it's if you are a white person or a non-white person, if you are a student or a long-term resident, we live in a very distinctly segregated of wealth and race of opportunity in our community, and I really hope to address that. So I'm originally from a suburb of Detroit. Um, I was kind of the product of this sort of white flight out of Detroit, which sprawl was synonymous with segregation. And we see that play out in many communities throughout the US and it's being played out actively in Iowa City and we must be conscious of that and actively work against the ongoing segregation of wealth and opportunity and race in our community. Yes. And so I hope to amplify the voices of the most marginalized and not be their voice. I can be a transistor, I can be a communicator of needs, of concerns in the community, but as a white person I must recognize my place and my privilege in the world and in this community and that I I must be conscious of the space that I operate in. I started working in restaurants when I was 14 years old as one of the only white people, and I have continued throughout my life in mainly non-white spaces. And um, it's not something I, you know, I brag about by any means, but um, I, I've worked in AmeriCorps for three years where my first gig, I was in Columbus, Ohio, which is a severely segregated community, and I worked in a school-to-prison pipeline public high school where I was tutoring and mentoring ninth and 10th grade students who were several grade levels behind, who had very little hope of graduating from high school. And with that experience, and witnessing such savage inequalities, I knew that it was an incumbent upon me to use my skills, resources, and privilege to try and make a positive impact in the world. And that's why I continued to serve in AmeriCorps, where I went on to Colorado and I was a wildland firefighter, where I helped Mexican students learn English and be um, afforded opportunity that many wealthy and mainly white people are afforded in this, in this country, more so than people of color. And I hope to continue to address that in this community because throughout my experience, in AmeriCorps and throughout my experience here in Iowa City through volunteering with the Center for Worker Justice in their 1010 campaign, right. through volunteering through various organizations and trying to engage students and those currently not represented at the city council level, I really hope to be their voice. I am not the person beyond, this is, this is much larger than me, this is about a, these, the community's issues and we must be raising them and taking them very seriously and taking the concerns seriously and I hope to be be able to do that on city council. So thank you. Yeah. Good evening. I'm Susan Mims. I want to say, uh, first of all, thank you to Kirkwood Community College. Um, I spent the first 18 years of my professional life teaching at Kirkwood Community College. Certainly has a fond place in my heart uh, for the good things that it does and the, the educational opportunities that it offers for a lot of students uh, as a place to start for a variety of reasons. Um, I came here to finish up college. I had started at Michigan State, dropped out for a year, um, ended up here and um, met my husband and like so many people decided that this was a great community in which to uh, stay and raise our family. Um, 
I grew up, obviously, in growing up in Vermont, um, at least at that time, it was probably one of the, the whitest states in the country. Um, it has certainly more diversity now than it did when I was growing up. My first experience uh, with real diversity was when I went to Michigan State University. And it, w it was an incredibly eye-opening and uh, wonderful experience for me. I lived in the dormitory, and the RA on our floor was a wonderful young black woman who had just an incredible sense of uh, being able to bring people together and introduce people who did not have that experience um, with people of other cultures. And it really started me on a path of you know understanding and being introduced to people who were very much different from my background and different cultures. Um, when I came to the University of Iowa, uh, I got my degrees in uh, undergraduate in biomedical engineering, master's in uh, industrial engineering. As I say, I taught at Kirkwood for 18 years. One of the things that, that forms my life and has, has formed it significantly in terms of my experiences and my outlook um, is my husband is African-American. We have raised four biracial children in this community uh, who they certainly identify as and the society identifies them as black. Um, I have, as a mother and as a wife, watched members of my immediate family uh, deal with racism, deal with uh, slurs, deal with discrimination on the job, um, and not be in a position in many cases to really be able to do a whole lot about it. Um, you, you can say things in certain places and times, and sometimes it's worth saying, and sometimes you know it's like knocking your head against a brick wall. Um, so I have seen that firsthand and have always spent my life and in, in my work on the city council and will continue to in trying to find ways to address those systemic issues because that is where a lot of this starts. I would say just very quickly, probably, and we'll come up later, but one of the things that's happened in the first eight years I've been on council that I am most proud of is an initiative this last fall of recommending to this, the city manager the opportunity to hire four police officers instead of two, and that allowed us to hire three African-American men into our police department, an issue which has been huge for us in terms of underrepresentation. Thank you. I think I'm ready now for question number one. Um, Kingsley. Um, question. You got a time? No, okay. We will be communicating back and forth, Sarah and I. I will time it. Okay. The first question is, why should people of color vote for you for Iowa City Council? Kingsley, would you like to start? You know, I think the candidates have talked about um, and there's many people here that have talked about the issues, and so I think they're, um, I think they're readily apparent. Um, and I definitely don't think that anybody should vote for me, especially a person of color, um, simply for the fact that I'm black. Um, what I will say, though, is, um, <laughs> I'm trying to say it in a way that you know isn't. I, I want to. I, I put in the work. You know, I, I think about it um, every single day. Um, I tirelessly work for ending systemic equality um, in our system, whether it be in the school district or on city council. It's something that I focus on. Um, 
the reason why I couldn't speak, sometimes I focus on it more than my own family. Um, so it's, it's, it's tough. Um, but it's, it's an important issue for me. Um, and it's just something that I, I really feel like Iowa City can be better at, um, work towards more. And, um, uh, and, I've, and I've done that. Um, some of the things that I mentioned prior um, in my initial talk, um, when people come to me for um, different advice about um, different issues, uh, one of the things I want to highlight in particular is that racial and socioeconomic um, toolkit. It's not a it's not a, a great or a sexy thing that people talk about. It didn't get a lot of fanfare, but what that does is introduces questions into the regular process of city business to ensure that people of color are not left out of the conversation, um, to ensure that any represented group is not left out of the conversation. And, and that's what I'm about. I'm about reflecting. I'm about focusing on and how do we build systems within those systems to ensure that we are incorporating uh, people from all backgrounds. And so so um, that's why I think people of color should vote for me. Again, not for the fact that I'm black, but for the simple fact that I am going to focus on and really build um, something that I will be proud of and my family will be proud of and you will be proud of well after I'm off council and well after we'll be gone here. I think uh, they should vote for me because I really relate to a lot of issues that the people face. I have a relationship with a lot of people in, through my work at the Center for Worker Justice, and I know their problem. I know the issues that they face. I was firsthand dealing with those issues with those people. I do have experience in a relationship with other group, like um, I'm a member of the Black Voice Project, and I'm a member of the Sudanese community. And I know a lot of issues would be, be brought to us at the Center for Worker Justice and how those people feel. Generally, I really relate to their hope, concern, and they're really hoping that this community will be like better for them and for their children. That's why they should vote for me. <laughs> um. I think there's something to be said to have people of color represented in our city leadership, um, which is why I think people should vote for me because through experience and through coming up with solutions in our personal or professional lives, I think we can help make those same changes in our community. Um, and I said it before and I'll say it again, I think the three candidates running at large should have a seat at our city council table because we do represent large populations of the community that we live in um, in very different ways, uh, but in very important ways. And I think that um, having three candidates that look like us um, is, speaks loudly about the changes that are happening in Iowa City um, and that we need to continue. Um, giving people of color and women of color, because I'm a woman of color, um, a seat at the table um, so that we can um, be a voice for the people or for the people that we represent in our community. So I would say that 
any white person asking for a person of color's vote needs to show that they are actually committed to racial justice, to economic justice, social justice, climate justice. And I hope that I can prove that I am walking the walk, that I'm doing the work, that I'm not just giving lip service to half measures, that I'm not just talking about affordable housing because it's a buzzword that we've been using for a, a lot of time in the community, but I'm talking about it because it's a stem a systemic issue. I'm bringing up these issues because I'm not beholden to any special interest, to not any any groups that are going to hold me back. I think it's important that we have leadership that will talk about what makes people uncomfortable. And we have a race problem in most every community in the United States. And that we need to address that without apprehension. We need all folks to have their voices heard, to have their concerns heard. And that's why I've been out in the community with the Center for Worker Justice, that I'm supporting initiatives in the community that are trying to address the systemic inequalities in our community. And, you know, I hope to earn your vote, not just ask that you vote for me, but this, this, is, a, this is a movement of issues, a movement of trying to see what, our, what is at, at our core wrong in our communities. And we need to realize that we are not going to solve these issues unless we bring the most marginalized and the most vulnerable people to the table. So if this community is not safe for a black trans woman, we are not doing enough. They should have every opportunity, every safety that is afforded all white people. And if we are not doing enough for a black trans woman, we're not doing enough for the entire community. The question of why should people of color vote for me, I think when we look at what we want to have happen, it is one thing to sit and, and talk in generalities and what, what we all want. I don't think there's one of us that's sitting here that doesn't believe that we need to make changes in our systemic problems in this country. Uh, from racism, sexism, you know, segregation by socioeconomic class, et cetera. For me personally, I have lived it, I have talked it about it, I have, have been involved in trying to work on those issues, certainly all of my married life, uh, and longer than that, um, and certainly for the eight years that I've been on council. Um, affordable housing is not just a recent buzzword. Uh, the city of Iowa City has had uh, housing studies. Uh, former Mayor Matt Hayek was on one of the first ones even before he was on city council. Um, working on these issues, trying to find solutions that are not easy. Uh, so we've spent a lot of time, we continue to make progress. Uh, this past year we uh, approved a 15-point affordable housing plan. A number of the points on that are already uh, in place. So it's not just about understanding the issue or, or speaking in generalities about the things that that we all know about. These are things that because of my family, I hold at my core, but also the things that I've been working on and actually helping find solutions to over the last eight years on council and would certainly hope for the opportunity to continue. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. Our next question, number two, as a member of the city council, how do you plan to collaborate and partner with the Iowa City Community School District regarding the placement of affordable housing and the impact on certain schools? 
Kingsley. Did oh, you, uh, Karen, should we start on the yeah. other end? Whatever. He had a rest, so he can start. I can. No, why don't we start with Mazahir? I guess I can. Yeah. Kind of rotated. Well, why don't we start with Mazahir? Sure. And by the way, this is my first time doing this. <laughs> Big learning curve. <laughs> Mazahir, would you like to start? Yeah. I know really this is an important issue because I've been, I've been hearing this problem from a lot of people in this community, from the people who face it. School, still we need to do a lot job with the school. If as a city council we can do that, with partner with the school, try to fix those problems, we should do that. And I definitely will work with another like council member and school board members so we can figure out this problem. Because, you know, I think, you know, the way that the affordable housing and the low-income people are being blessed in certain areas of the city, that will make our school most likely, you know, the school would be like, I don't they call it sign a school, where, you know, the, 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 the kids are really are not passing their IO assessment test. And this is, this is really a problem that, as immigrants, and as a friend of a lot of people from different another country, I know how they feel that. And we, we need to know a like more job in just like also improving how we can help those people, you know. And if the city start doing like housing, also we don't need to segregate our community by income. That's why I, I will look forward to have like the low wage workers to have a lot of like affordable houses, like somewhere like mix. I want to see a community with different people, like people who have rich people, low-wage workers. All of them sit in the same place together, so they can kids grow their kids grow up together, and so we are one community. I will definitely do my best to work with the school district if I can, with, as a council member, so we can figure out a solution to this problem by also bringing people together in the table of discussion. Thank you. Um, I think as we address the housing issue in Iowa City, um, this question touches on a topic that's very important in creating affordable and low-income housing in various neighborhoods in our community. Um, I was very lucky. I didn't realize how racially segregated and class segregated Iowa City was until I got to junior high and high school. I went to two low-income elementary schools in this uh, school district and thought that every elementary school was like that. Um, I went to Kirkwood, which we were known as the international elementary school, and then I went to Hills, which we were like the poor white trash school. Um, and those were, the, the assumptions that were made about everyone that went to those elementary schools and I got to Northwest and realized that there were not other people or very many other people of color at my school and even when I got to West High, which I know that has changed a lot in the last uh, 20 years since I started high school, but I think that we as an entire community and city need to continually work with our educational systems in our community to make sure that we are equally um, diverse in all of our elementary schools. I think it's beneficial to everyone, whether you are the child of color or you are the white child in school, to expose people um, to different people uh, in their communities. And I think as a city council, we control that by where and what kind of developments we allow in various neighborhoods.
This is a very large issue to try to unpack, and that's why I'd be happy to partner with organizations that are already working in the affordable housing arena, such as the Affordable Housing Coalition, and I'd work with existing relationships I've made with those uh, currently on school board. So, you know, I've heard from a lot of people as I'm knocking doors in different neighborhoods that they want their kids to be able to walk to school. They want neighborhood schools. But we also have to unpack how our neighborhoods are very segregated. So it's, you have to come at this from uh, various approaches. How we can create more mixed income neighborhoods, how we can create um, more proactive zoning policies that, that provide opportunity for um, the opposite of this kind of suburban sprawl, just kind of white picket fence kind of neighborhood, which is a, unsustainable and is like mostly always segregated. And so we really need to be proactive in our zoning policies about how we are accommodating for mixed income development. And uh, so there, there's, there's a lot to unpack in um, neighborhood schools, in affordable housing, and uh, I'd be happy to always have a listening ear to parents, to organizers, to folks most affected by this issue. And it's about bringing those different stakeholders, those different voices to the table, and trying to find common sense solutions. So that if that means for me going to a school board uh, meeting, meeting with, with parents of, of children, I'd be more than happy to do that because this is a very, very uh, complicated issue. And I think a lot of, a lot of us in this room uh, <laughs> need to be more educated about it and, and, and have um, a, a obligation to to unpack this and to be really cognizant of, of the voices that are, are not present at the table when we're talking about segregation, when we're talking about affordable housing. Let me start by telling you what I have already done as a member of the City Council when it comes to this issue. The City Council has passed a uh, housing location model. What this means is that any housing that is going to get federal assistance that's from, from home or CDBG money that th flows through from the federal government is limited in where it can be placed. And that is based on this model that was developed in conjunction with data that we got from the school district in terms of socioeconomic status, free and, re free and reduced lunch numbers, and that sort of thing. So what we were trying to do is make sure with that model that additional housing that that the city had control over in terms of using those federal dollars would not be put in places that just increased the segregation or increased con concentration of low-income housing. So that is one effort that we already have in place um, in terms of trying to, to move those around and separate any new housing from the concentration. Secondly, when it comes to Section 8 housing, that is an issue that the city has no control over. Those are vouchers that uh, people apply for, and they can locate anywhere that they can find a landlord that will take Section 8 voucher. So that's something that's outside of, of the control. Third is the issue that we're working on right now. We've had consultants in to look at form-based code zoning. So the whole area around Alexander School, which has not yet been developed, we're looking at developing form-based code. So in other words, instead of having a bunch of single-family homes, the goal is that we are going to have everything from single-family single homes, duplexes, four apartment units, uh, 12 plexes, et cetera. So in the process of that, you get housing at a lot of different price points. 
again, hoping that you don't have that socio socioeconomic segregation. So we have done a lot. We are doing a lot. There still is a lot more to do. But what I would say is I have the experience in helping to start solving those problems. First and foremost, I want to apologize for getting a little choked up earlier with the last question. Um, today was a hard day, um, and there are many hard days, and there's many hard days for many in our community. Um, I see the issues every single day. We see these issues every single day, and so I wanted to quickly say that. Uh, you know, I'm not in those conversations in the school district as far as um, that planning, um, which is something that is a consistent concern, but from a city standpoint, uh, I would agree with some of the things that Susan already mentioned. I also agree with Ryan, we need to continue to use our community partners, um, the Affordable Housing Coalition, um, the Housing Trust Fund in Johnson County. Um, the inclusionary zoning ordinance is kind of a test that we're using in Riverfront Crossings District to see whether or not um, it can be applied to different areas. It's something that I'm very supportive of and interested in as far as applying to different areas. The form-based code analysis that um, Susan just mentioned is um, uber important to um, really having a discussion of different housing types, uh, different construction types when it comes to not only the Alexander neighborhood, but possibly other neighborhoods as well. And we have additional steps with that plan um, that need to be focused on. And for me, in my campaign standpoint, I'm talking about accelerating to so we can really ensure that these affordable housing um, steps get implemented. Uh, I would agree with Susan, there are a lot of conversations that are happening at the city council level just um, two nights ago, and I'm gonna ask Susan to correct me if I'm uh, saying anything wrong, um, but just two nights ago, we had a, a really good conversation around the uh, Camp Cardinal um, neighborhood. There was some um, some new construction that was happening there, or new construction that we need to approve that was happening there. Um, and we had a long conversation about the development that was going in there, whether or not it was gonna be affordable, whether or not there was gonna be a mix of incomes. And initially, you know, I think I you know, shared that I felt uncomfortable because a lot of the development and a lot of the housing up there is $300,000, $400,000. And so so when you're asking from a student, a school district standpoint, you know whether or not it's going to be diverse. It's not going to be very diverse from a socioeconomic standpoint. And so again, making those, having those conversations, being deliberate, asking those questions is a part of what I do on city council now. And I want to continue that effort and um, encourage um, you to join me in that effort to really dig in in a deeper way. Thank you. Um, question number three. The federal government is targeting undocumented residents of this country and also Iowa City. Talk a little bit about what you believe the federal government's actions mean to our community and speak first from your heart. Then speak next from your role as a member of the city council. We can start with Angela. Thank you, Sierra. <clears throat> um, I think the actions of our federal government, and I know that the local offices in Cedar Rapids um, affecting our community and our surrounding community communities is absolutely wrong and disgusting. And I think that one of the greatest things about Iowa City is that we have community members who are so willing to step out of their comfort zone and stand up for people who can't. Um, and uh, sorry, it's, I think it's an issue that's emotional probably for everyone. Um, I think that it's important that as city leaders in our community and as community members who care, that we continue to be active and um, support the work that I know Mazda here has already done um, for um, 
for our, sorry, uh, for people who don't have a voice for themselves to help um, give them a place in our community, to welcome them in our community, and to make sure that our city council continues to, which I know that they already do, but continues to, um, uh, sorry, um, continues to create um, policies that welcome uh, welcome our community to everyone. Sorry. Thanks. What we are seeing at the national level is not a reflection of how great this community is. What we are seeing by this fascist agenda of 45 is not the type of community that we live in in Iowa City. We are better than hate, we are better than walls, and we can overcome this oppressive agenda and work together to make sure that all people, regardless of documentation, country of origin, are safe and welcome in this community. And I am really encouraged by the progress we have been making to f make it so that our community is more welcoming and more inclusive to all people. And I think that, you know, as, as I was uh, volunteering with, the, with a day camp at the Center for Worker Justice this summer, um, I was surrounded by, by children of color from all over the globe. And I, in these moments, I realized the beauty in our humanity the potential in our compassion and the will to create a better world. And that can take place here in Iowa City. And so what I would hope to do at the city council level is to encourage ongoing efforts to improve policing so that we are protecting less documented folks in our community, so that people of color don't feel targeted disproportionately by contact with the police, that we will never work with ICE ever. We will make it clear that everyone is welcome in our community, that we will stand up for one another, and when it comes down to it, we will build a wall of love around one another. And I want to be a mason, a brick mason of love and compassion and hope, and I hope that you join me in building that sort of infrastructure. Yeah. When the election was going on last fall, and I realize this, we're talking about the local part here, um, and I'll just share my personal views on this. I, I was not, for whatever reasons, I was not really enamored with Hillary Clinton. Um, I'm a longtime Democrat, but I just was not particularly enamored with her for various reasons. But what I said to a lot of people during that process was, for whatever damage she might do, we can recover from that. My real concern is if Donald Trump is elected, that he will divide this country from the inside, and that may be something that we never recover from. And unfortunately, I sit here today feeling like that is what we are seeing in this country. Uh, what we've seen in the media lately in terms of the stepped up efforts on ICE to, to detain, uh, they're looking, I think, in, in Texas for more private holding cells to, for people. Um, it, it, it's abominable. It's, it's, 
it's awful. It's heartless. It's cruel. Uh, there's no sense of caring for people whatsoever. Um, so from the heart, that, that's how I feel. I mean, I think it's just awful. We have to come together and find ways that we can look at these issues and, uh, you know, I think organizing and, and everybody decide what their politics are on the state and national level and get active. I guess that's what I would say. From a city perspective, uh, I think we have done a lot. Um, we partnered with the Community ID uh, when the Center for Worker Justice and the county, uh, Iowa City, North Liberty, Coralville. It was very important that this was an ID that was accepted throughout the county. Um, and the other thing that we did is, while we did not declare ourselves a sanctuary city, uh, basically because of the negative attention that might bring, we did formalize that our police officers will not cooperate with ICE. That is already on the books. Um, so from a personal standpoint, or from the heart, um, from the heart, um, it's disgusting. Uh, it's despicable. Uh, it's abhorrent. Uh, many families um, are concerned. Um, I also take it as a personal attack being a child of an immigrant as well. It's hard to split um, being personal and being professional about this particular issue. And so I, I won't try to. Uh, we have to reflect and realize um, from an Iowa City Council perspective and a city perspective that even though we can look at the federal government and um, our presidency and say, look at you, uh, we also have to reflect on ourselves because not too long ago, um, there were issues that were happening in the community that were hate-based, um, that were focused on immigrants and not necessarily being welcome in our community. So we need to be reflective and we need to act. We've taken steps that many of the other individuals have already talked about as far as um, not engaging at race with our police department, community ID. Um, those are very, very important as we move that conversation to, um, forward. However, one of the things I did bring up at a, a council meeting, I want to say maybe two months ago, uh, was this discussion about needing to fight. Uh, I don't necessarily know that we are going to, I want to, hope that we're going to win in Des Moines and win at the national level, but I'm not sure. And I don't want to wait um, and be sure from that standpoint. And so I asked the counselors, and I know we wanted to wait at this particular time, but we need to fight. We need to prepare for situations where if um, they are saying that you want to come into our communities and separate us, that we will say no. No. Uh, one of the things I'd like to get on the books that I, I've shared in one of our packets is a community rights ordinance that really focuses on the values that we believe as a community. It puts it as a law. It makes it important. It makes it something that is visual, that people can see, that we, we need to move forward as a community. Um, I, I truly believe that's important. I truly believe we need to get our ducks in a row and be prepared for anything that may come about. Um, and that's what I want to focus on, um, not only, obviously now that I'm on council, but, but for the next four years as well. For me, I really lived this, and I saw it firsthand happening to parents of children, to people in this community through my work, and through the, people, the, the undocumented people that I know in this community. This is what's terrifying those family. Think about somebody will sign like David to give their children to somebody else just in case if the ice came and gave them while they, their kids at school. Could you imagine that? I feel their pain. I was there when this happened and I can't tell. You know? That's why we, don't, we try to do a lot. We, we have to protect those people. 
you know. Through the Center for Work Justice, we start like uh, bringing allies together to find our solution to this problem, how we can protect our people, those part of the fabric of this community. And they, they are immigrants just like anyone. Who is not immigrant in this room? Those part of these people, whether you came now or you came long time ago, we are the same and we are part of this community. This is really a serious issue. We, we, we now doing like a lot as a community only. We have community allies who working as a rapid response. We have community allies who working just like Natalia for the, 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 the bond. If somebody is like, and I encourage you to go and donate because this is really huge. If somebody being detained, or being like, like trying to be detained so they can uh, pay the bond for them. Uh, we, we, we done a lot among just communities. We met with police from different com uh, cities, so they, we don't want them to act as eyes. You know, as a, uh, if I'd done this as a community only, I think I will do more if I've been elected as a city council. Mm. You know, I will continue doing more, and thank you for everything that the current city council did. And we will move forward on that, too. Thanks. We are now on question number four. What is your personal vision of what African-American, black, and Hispanic, Latino residents of Iowa City will be saying about the Iowa City police officers by the end of your council term? <laughs> so I should, I should begin? Yes, Ryan can. I, I got it now, Sarah. <laughs> Go ahead, dear. I love the question of vision because I think that's what we need moving forward. So the, the vision that I have for a local police department four years down the road looks a lot like more officers who are community assistants like Henry Harper. It looks a lot like we are moving towards this community policing where, where we are not criminalizing people based on what, what substances they are using as a result of possibly addiction or whatnot, that we are giving them access to care, to crisis intervention, to some stuff that we, we've been kind of doing in, at the community and the city level already. But at the end of these next four years, I want to have a police department that is, if we, if we can't remove it, just as much as possible, reduce the amount of disproportional contact that they have with people of color. And I'll be very clear that disproportionate outcomes are solely because of the race of, of those being charged and arrested, not because of behavior, not because of data, not because of criminal statistics or whatnot. It is because we are in a very racialized police system. And, it, and we are making improvements. And I'm going to continue working with uh, Chief of Police Jody Matherly to improve upon the existing uh, progress that we've been making. But I know I will always be cognizant that we must do more. And it's not, and, and you know, I could say this, but this is what I'm hearing from people of color. This is, this is me trying to communicate that, that need for reform, for change, for progress. And that, at, and that I hope throughout these next four years, whether, whether or not I am, I am elected, that I will be helping in that progress, regardless of whether or not I am on council. But 
you know, it, it, I think it's crucial that we have that strong vision towards community policing, towards less dis disproportionate contact, and I think that is completely possible with the, with the systems that we have in place right now. I would certainly like to think that in the next four years, we would be hearing fewer complaints. And here's some of the reasons I think we're headed in that direction. I think the hiring of Jody Math Matheson Mathers is Matherly. Matherly, thank you. <laughs> Drawing a blank here tonight. Um, as our new police chief starting last January, um, has really added another component. I think always when you get fresh eyes, you get those right fresh eyes and different experiences, uh, Jody has brought that to the community. He is really working with the department in terms of more community policing, getting police out of their cars more, getting to know people in the neighborhoods. I think that's a huge start and will pay dividends as we move forward. Um, the mention of the CIT, we have uh, 36 officers who have been trained in crisis intervention training. We are looking at opening up an access center. This will allow for police officers to take people who are in crisis. That crisis might be simply that they are drunk. It might be that they are in a mental health or emotional crisis. It might be drug overdose. An opportunity to take them somewhere other than the jail or the emergency room if neither one of those are the appropriate place. Uh, the access center will have medical people, will be able to get them stabilized and then connect them with social workers and hopefully get them connected uh, with other services in the community. I think all of these help keep people out of jail. All right, and get them the help that they actually need and connect them with uh, things in the community. That is a program that I am integrally involved in, serving on both the steering committee and the governance committee in trying to bring that to fruition, working with the university um, and many of nonprofits within the community, the county, and the other municipalities. The other thing that I mentioned at the very beginning, um, and I will continue to work on, is increasing the diversity of our police force. Um, in the 15 seconds I've got left, the way that's done in this community and across the state is civil service. People have to apply, they take a written test, they take a physical test, they get ranked. We had the opportunity, we only had two openings, we had a number of people of color very high on that list, and I went to the city manager and said, we need to hire more than two, let's go with four. The council agreed with that. Of those four people, three were men of color. So many of you know, and if you don't know, um, I have been critical of our police department. Um, I've paid for that um, criticism with threats, calls, and comments, and I've even lost some friends. Um, uh, the vision for that I have for Iowa City Police Department um, is something that I, I remember from a, a personal uh, story um, uh, when I was uh, back home in South Carolina where uh, an officer, I won't go into the details of that story, but I was a young, um, young man and the officer had me in the back of his car, uh, which is a terrifying experience if you've ever done it, and I definitely was terrified at the particular moment in time that it occurred. Uh, but changed the protocol and maybe hopefully he's not losing or lost his job because of it but and had me sit in the front seat and talk to me about the issue that i was going through and really worked that worked through it with me and uh, dropped me off at my my house um, you know orville and i were on a orville townsend and i were on a committee um uh, the uh, uh the ad hoc diversity committee couldn't remember the name of it the ad hoc diversity committee that really looked at um, a lot of these issues uh, in particular one of the two words or three words, I guess, that um, Mr. Townsend said that was that stood out to me was protect and serve. 
I know that officers are working towards that. I'm happy that um, um, I've been able to work with them on um, those issues and and talk to them about not only getting training, um, but also um, looking at it more from a lens of how can they be community servants. Um, you know, uh, there's different programs that have already been mentioned. I'll mention a couple more. The Bulbas program that focuses on how we can um, ensure that. If uh, police will pull over somebody for a broken tail light or something problematic with their car, instead of you know um, uh, giving them a ticket, they um, send them to one of the local um, hardware stores—not hardware stores, hardware store or you know repair shops to get those things fixed. Uh, and then Mr. Harper, I think he was just here, um, has done a couple of different programs focusing, focusing on bicycling, um, me meeting people where they're at, um, putting people together with different community groups, um, especially young kids. I think we're working towards that, and I'd like to see uh, more of our protect and serve from our community. Um, on my time on council. You know, when we found the Center for Worker Justice, we done a survey. The first thing everybody, like really huge people said, the problem in this community is the interaction between the police and the minority. This is back, I guess, 2012 when we done this. And we start working on this. We done Know Your Right training, we asked the police to come and listen to the people and uh, like listen to their concern, try to find a solution. We made like regularly with them. We, after we bought the community ID, that's really made a big difference by improving, for improving the relationship between the police and minority, you know, which, is, which was really great. And I guess we should continue work on this. I'm very proud uh, of our current police chief, uh, because he's really about communities. I remember I, w I was one of the people who interviewed him. And I remember I said one thing when they asked me, uh, do you want to accuse him or not? I, like, who you like? And I said, he's the only one that's going to be my choice. <laughs> Come out of this system. And he was. He, being, he was uh, appointed to be that. And I, I met with him many times. And I, was, I sit also on the city manager round table meeting every monthly, talk to them, bring issues. My experience by bringing people together, go and look at the issues with the, for people community. I'm gonna continue as a city council member to go to those like different areas who need different communities to learn their issues and continue advocate for them. And I guess also we, we need more policing, community police like Henry. Uh, this is great. And I, I will really understand the issue. I will continue, you know, uh, advocate for them uh, when I make it also stronger as a city council. I hope in four years that people look at our police department and the work that our city and city council have done and say that we've actively uh, pursued officers of color, men and women. Um, in the last few months, I've been really lucky to work really closely with our police department um, in my position with the downtown district. And one of the first issues that I noticed was just a, a lack of understanding um, between young men of color especially and our white officers in our community and when i went to the police chief and asked them like 
why don't you just put more officers of color downtown? His response was, we don't have any. I said, well, why don't you hire more? And he was like, well, look at our applicant pool. And I think Susan talked about this, and it's really important that we, as a community, need to hold our city leaders and our police department accountable in going out and pursuing the applicants that we want representing our police department. Our police department in four years, I hope, better represents our entire community um, and not just our white male community. Um, I think that we need more female officers, we need more officers of color, and we really need to continue the work that our council and police chief have done in community policing and not just enforcement. And I think we're in moving in the right direction um, and in all, I shouldn't say all neighborhoods, in some neighborhoods, and I think this, um, the idea and plans that we've come up with um, in downtown, I can speak of that uh, personally. I think that if we can take um, this notion of community policing over enforcement and apply that to all neighborhoods in Iowa City, that we could create, begin to create a better relationship between our police department and our um, communities of color. Thank each one of you for your answers to the questions. And now we will open the question and answer period to the audience. Your, uh, use the mic, first of all, and your question can only be a minute long, please. And uh, if you would like to direct <laughs> your questions to all of the members on the panel, that's fine, but if you would like to address your question to a specific person on the panel, that is also acceptable. We'll try to keep these Thank you all for coming tonight. My name is Cindy Cochran. I taught 17 years as a public school high school teacher and now 17 years at Kirkwood Community College. Some of you have knocked at my door. Um, some of you have been my student. Um, I've had some of your kids in class and the two that I don't, you're really wonderful. Um, and how sad it is we don't have five spots open on our council. Isn't that so true? And I also want to say before my question, and I've got my minute going here, um, is that you need everyone in here needs to call, call, not write, not text, call our senators, call Grassley, call Ernst, and say we count and our ideas count, and we're not just this progressive little community in Iowa City, but we are Iowans, we are proud Iowans, and they represent us, um, and Trump does not. Okay, so back over <laughs> to my question here. So, um, I was in fifth grade when the Kmart opened in town and it's now closed and I'm old. Um, and I miss my Kmart, but there's a big spot there. What would you suggest we do with that spot to help the people who are lower income in our community? I have an idea. I wonder what your idea is. Let's right. yes. start with Susan. Susan, right. would you like to start? Sure. If I controlled it, uh, we would bring a target in there. We have a huge lack of retail on the south and southeast side of Iowa City. Um, to me, bringing a target in there 
um, gives a great retail opportunity that we are just losing. Uh, I think you have to go to Coralville to buy a pair of socks now. Um, and so depending, and, and you can take what you want in terms of the groceries, but if you bring in a super, wall, super target, you've got groceries as well. Um, but that's what I would love to see. I have talked with city manager since Tom Marcus was here and with Jeff Fruin. We have talked with Target, um, and unfortunately, we're not having a whole lot of success in bringing them. That would be my absolutely number one preference. Uh, I think we are just an incredible lack of um, retail on the east and southeast side of town. Okay. Everybody, we clapped after every answer. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do it anymore. Didn't like that one. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't want to be the only one. Hurry, hurry. Um, okay, sorry. So I'll go quick. Um, Susan's right. Retail is important. That's something that's been talked about um, by many of the doors that I've knocked on the campaign. Uh, one of the things that I would say, if it was, again, um, a preference um, and our option for us, is using the Nubo model out of um, Cedar Rapids um, for a, a different. Um, which is more restaurant-based, but I'd be interested, again, going back to my second campaign point, of a more entrepreneurial effort. You know, many of the uh, young, starving artists, um, employ uh, uh, entrepreneurs and people in this community need and want space. Unfortunately, the space downtown is very expensive. It'd be awesome if we had um, a, a place, um, a huge space, that had many different offices, um, and that could just be a collaborative network of different groups working together, whether it be around food or um, um, technology or education, whatever the case may be. I, I would love for that space to be something like that, that the entire community could get really excited about and uh, get, get behind and support. I really have an idea for that, Bliss. You know, like employee-owned businesses, Zaya. Where like a co-op right, from different people from different background, like Sudanese store there, Latino store there, or uh, maybe also some kind like like kind of a small mall or a small plaza with different kind of people who really would like to do uh, to open a business here, but they cannot because the space in downtown is really expensive. So we can create something like this, and this is will bring new trends of Iowa City because we have diverse community, and they would like also to celebrate that diversity by opening their own businesses here. A lot of people I come across they would like they would love to open business. There is people who cook really good, people who do a lot of kind of things. 15 seconds, I will tell you my ideas about it. <laughs> I'm really torn on um, what we should do with that space because I think bringing in a bigger chain store like Target uh, creates a more affordable uh, retail option for people on that side of town. However, Kingsley and I, I think, say a lot of the same things about growing and building and fostering entrepreneurship in this community. We already do it, uh, but I think doing it with a community with people who represent the community where the retail space is going to be is extremely important. Um, creating space that's affordable, like Kingsley mentioned, it is really expensive uh, to try to start a startup in downtown Iowa City and creating other um, opportunities in different neighborhoods that maybe will help integrate those neighborhoods too um, is really great. But I think coming up with a locally driven, driven um, shared retail space is really important over there. 
I think we need to ask who um, the, the potential business owners that don't have as access enough to loans or space, what they would want out of it. Um, you know, I can, I can rattle off some ideas off of my head, but um, I don't think that it would do the, the plan justice. Um, but if I were to have sort of like dictatorial like authority over what would happen um, I'd love to see solar panels on the rooftop I'd love to see this sort of uh, aquaponics where we're growing food because you know as we grow in our community we need to grow food in our community too so I'd really be looking for innovative businesses that are more geared towards clean and green energy towards local and sustainable foods but I would defer the the decision to the community, I think that it really, really be important to, to to focus on the fact that we don't have many businesses that are run by women of color, by people of color in general, and that you know we should hear from from their concerns about business space in in, um, in our community. Tony. Good evening, distinguished ladies and gentlemen of the panel. <laughs> Good night, everyone. How you doing, everyone? I do have a question, and I would like each and every one of you to answer this question um, as a way for us to get to actually know what's important to you. If you had to, there's a lot that's going on in our culture in America nationally right now. And of course, all politics is local. So if you had to rank from one to five in your listening tours and preparing for this particular candidacy run, uh, what the top five issues for social uh, racial inequality that are happening in Iowa City, how it gets impacted, and perhaps what you would do as a council member to combat it. If you would rank the one through five as you see it and what you would do, I think that would be really incredible if you guys would answer that tonight. So we each get like an hour to answer this, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's me first, right? Um, yeah. So that's a that's like a, a deep, deep, deep uh, question that you know can answer many ways. Uh, I think many of the things have already been discussed a little bit from that standpoint um, up at the panel level. I mean, minimum wage, unfortunately, as it was taken away, is a huge issue that's affecting our community. Affordable housing is a huge issue. Uh, is a part of my campaign flat platform. Uh, economic development, uh, making sure that we have more um, women of color, more people of color, and um, manage. I mean, in management positions, but also in um, entrepreneurial positions, and um, basically making more opportunities from an economic development standpoint um, for our community. Uh, mental health, you know, because one of the things that um, 
we frequently forget is that mental health is pervasive throughout all of our different communities. And even in the in the last six months to year, there's a lot of people that have been um, terrified, as um, as I here had mentioned before, and have serious um, uh, have dealt with some serious mental health issues because of this that we have to address and we have to be cognizant of. And number five is. Well, transportation, um, you know, is, is something that's very important and uh, something that we're dedicated and looking towards with a new survey um, and looking at a hybrid model possibly for Iowa City to ensure that we're um, accommodating and becoming the city that we are. We're growing and we need to be thinking about that in that type of way. You were so good at doing it in 60 seconds or less, but I'm going to give you guys 90 for this. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> so we're going to get it. Yeah, you know, he said most of the thing that I'm gonna say, but you know, yeah, for me, my three issues are like my campaign issues: uh, affordable housing, big deal, you know, transportation, economic development for all, which bring like uh, jobs that being livable wage. Yeah, you know, like because we, I think, wage theft and uh, low wage, you know, low wages is really hurt our economy as well as hurt families of the low wage workers. And uh, police interaction, you know, uh, a place with uh, like treatment for worker without discrimination. Those five, right? Yes, <laughs> I can go on and on because there is a lot need to be corrected in this community. Just what's near and dear to your heart. Yeah, that was ranking. Oh, ranking. Hmm. I didn't. I didn't think about it that way. Sorry. Um, well, don't hold you up. Just. I well, just yeah. Um, giving people, giving young people and young people of color a voice in our community, um, and a platform for them to communicate with city leadership. I think everyone's going to say it. Affordable housing, um, and just dealing with our housing, or lack of housing issues in our entire community as a whole. Um, I feel like I'm just copying everyone. Definitely creating a better relationship with our city and police department and the rest of our community and especially a community of color. Um, and um, sorry, we've talked, all talked about it, talked about it every forum, creating a better and more inclusive transportation um, for everyone in our community and definitely um, working on continuing the economic development in our community and making it um, more accessible for people of color and especially women of color um, to open new businesses. I think because we all feel it first, I think it's the high cost of living in our community and that has to do with housing, transportation, job access, wages, and that, that goes on. I think a second thing is public health. You know, how environmental healthy we are, how clean our water is, our air, and how, how we are nourished by what we eat and where it, it comes from and is it from some factory in, in Iowa. I think about third being the equal opportunity in our economy and in our school system, uh, because a lot of the inequity be begins at, at school or lack of access to pre-K or lack of access to childcare, and that's something that you know is not addressed in many uh, venues. Is is how childcare is very directly tied to poverty and to a lack of access to to kind of climbing that socioeconomic ladder. And so I think about four is climate justice, about how we've planned cities and communities to where 
poor folks typically live in floodplains. And as many of us know uh, that I live in this community, in this area, is that we, we are very prone to floods and will continue to be as climate change exacerbates. Um, and high cost of utilities and high cost of, um, of energy is, is really crippling to a lot of people's um, to, uh, bank accounts. And I think about five, about something that's not mentioned at all, um, is sexual assault and safety in our community for those who are most vulnerable. And I think about how RVAP, DVIP, uh, Monsoon, NISA, all these organizations are, are facing funding cuts. And it's important that we support these organizations because I'm a survivor, I know far too many survivors, and that we really need to address this as sort of a hidden issue in our community. I think when you look at these, I think everybody's, we could list easily a lot more than five, and it depends on how many you, I think Ryan grouped about five together in one, cheated, cheated. <laughs> you, you cheated. <laughs> um, I'm going to look at it a little bit differently. There's a lot of commonality, but still, number one for me is education. Because I think fundamentally, as we look at racial issues, um, it overlaps a lot with socioeconomic issues, and all of that comes back to education. A year or so ago, when kind of overnight the school district was going to change the high school boundaries, um, I happened to have an opportunity to be on KXIC radio the next morning because we do that as counselors. We rotate that around. And I, and I made some fairly lengthy comments at that time about my disagreement with that decision because to me what that represented was opening up uh, Liberty High School to be an elite, affluent, white high school. Um, it, was, it was changing the boundaries around that meant that City High and West High were going to have free and reduced lunch numbers, which, of course, relate to socioeconomic uh, data. Uh, I think of over 50% each, and Liberty High was going to be at like 10 or 5 or something like that. Um, so for me, education is number one. Everybody, regardless of ethnicity, racial background, oh, I've only got 15 seconds left. Um, education is number one. Number two is housing. Uh, housing is just critically important for people, to, for stability, affordable housing, obviously. Well-paying jobs. We have the really high ones. We've got the service ones. We need middle ones. Um, transportation and health care. Okay. Sarah says this is our last question. <laughs> Hi, thanks for being here tonight. I'm Colleen Schmidt. I teach at Kirkwood in the non-credit English program, English as an additional language. Um, it's a free program. And so um, like other Kirkwood teachers here, I work at the intersection of education and workforce development connecting students, hopefully, with our English classes, with uh, an opportunity for a living wage job, and one that's meaningful, um, and learning English to help people advocate better for themselves and their children. Um, so I have a question that relates to that. Um, before I continue, Susan, I liked your idea about the target, because one of our students last year when Kmart, or maybe it was two years ago when Kmart moved away, um, didn't have a car, and a lot of our students in our free program don't have a reliable car and where do you go buy socks? I mean, it's, it's an income mm -hmm. issue and, uh, and she was relying on other family members and friends and thank goodness for cooperation among people in our community 
neighbors and friends and family help each other out, but that would help, I think. Um, so back to workforce development and education, um, we've had a long, long waiting list in our free program, um, more than 150 students um, uh, last year for pretty much the entire academic year, people moving in and out of that waiting list um, for both morning and night classes in our free program, other community programs filling that need for English programming, but there being this need that's still not being met and a dearth of um, federal and state resources coming our way and coming to the workforce development office. People are trying hard, but there's just not enough to go around. So I wondered if you could give us a little civics lesson, lesson and share a vision. How do you see the city sort of meeting this need? Is this the role of the city? Is there some opportunity or commitment there to invest in people who are moving here for good jobs and are um, you know, putting down roots and really need the opportunity to learn English to get to that next goal and become, um, you know, just like lend their genius to our community and make a difference and, um, be, you know, become more independent citizens and contributing citizens. Um, we already have incredible gifts here, but English would help everyone get somewhere faster. Can I just ask, before you sit down, to clarify a little bit, is the need for resources because you need more teachers? Is that? Oh, yeah, thanks. Sorry I didn't share that background. Um, we have teachers. We don't have um, the funding to pay more teachers at this time or the space, actually, to offer more classes on the Iowa City campus. Um, Kirkwood instructors are pretty familiar with this pickle, but okay. that referendum got passed um, right. to address that problem. But there's federal funding, there's state funding, and there was a small community grant last year. Okay. Um, and Kirkwood puts in more um, than is required, by the way, to, okay. to match the grants they get. Thank you. Yeah. Kingsley, I think it's your turn to start. Uh, I, I guess my turn. Oh, yeah, my hair. I'm so sorry. I yes, it's, your, yeah. it's getting late, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I, I really think this is really a serious problem because I come across a, a lot of people who are named on the waiting list in Kirkwood Community College and they never get the chance yet. And now we know what the problem is, you know. Uh, uh, as the Center for Worker Justice, we offer also help for the English classes uh, for through like community member. We did like one-to-one -one so people can like helping people who come and say they don't afford to pay for the college or for English class. I know in other places, like some churches, they do the same thing. But I guess the college setting, it will be great if we can like find a, find a funding for uh, like for this program will be great. Uh, I really uh, will, I, as a council member, and I know the issues and how huge it is, I will make it priority and try work work with as a council member. And if his funding is really clearly needed, we will try to figure out how we can fund that program because this is important for them to get good job. That's the first thing. I really love that you said English as an additional language instead of English as a second language. Um, because it is my primary language and everyone always refers, it, refers to it as my second language. Um, but I love that you called it an additional language. Um, I think that we as a community need to address this uh, in a really collaborative way, uh, taking the work that Kirkwood is already doing uh, to provide uh, classes here, uh, but also 
better utilizing our university community and other members in our community and using public spaces like our public library downtown, um, spaces that I think other um, property owners and business owners would be willing to provide if it meant setting aside time um, where people could go to learn English from teachers who are willing to uh, take the time out of their lives to provide a service and definitely subsidizing it um, as a city if we can. But I think that we have a really great resource in the young people um, at the university who need opportunities to volunteer and they also want to serve the community and I think that if we can encourage it that we can find more teachers in our community. Sorry. I hope to do this question justice in one minute, so I might go a little faster than usual. So I think that it's important to kind of unpack what is a, sort of the colonial mindset that English is the, the primary language that needs to be spoken in the United States. And I'm not saying that the question asker is assuming this, but soon enough, Spanish will be the most spoken language in the United States, and we need to prepare for that infrastructure. And so I think that it's really important that we put in systems in place where our city services are translated in Arabic, in French, in Spanish, in multiple languages that is accessible to people where, and meeting their needs where they are at. It is, you know, a huge resource to try and educate everyone in English, but I think that we have a wonderful opportunity. There are over a hundred, there are almost 200 languages spoken in Iowa, and what a beautiful thing. But we should embrace that and not come from a colonial mindset that everyone needs to speak the same language as one another. So I think at the city council level, it's it, I, I love the idea that Angela had about utilizing public spaces with the, where the city has to sort of leverage this opportunity, but I think that we need leaders on city council that will lobby the state and federal government for better funding for our education because it's really important to have folks up here talking about how this is much larger than an Iowa City issue and I'm going to be speaking in generalities because we live in a multiple issue world and I'm going to be fighting regardless of level of, of, of governance. I think Angela hit on a number of things in terms of finding people who might have the capabilities who could volunteer. Um, I think looking at various resources from the city, I would certainly be open to looking at that possibility of, of using city resources to help in some regard. Uh, partnering with any other, uh, with the university, with other agencies, with uh, houses of worship, whatever that we could do to pull together more resources so that we don't have 150 people on this waiting list. Because as we know, if you don't have the English language, which is the majority, which is what most people in this area speak, and which when you come to the economics is necessary for the best opportunities, um, then to help those people get that uh, get in that situation. Uh, just to, to follow up on something Ryan said, the city is already uh, translating an awful lot of our information and documents and stuff into other languages, and we are gradually working on adding more and more languages to that over time. Uh, recently, we had a strategic plan initiative that was uh, focused on discussing collaboration with uh, different entities, uh, Kirkwood, um, the school district, um, uh, and just different cities in general. I think that you know one of the things I can you know guarantee with just that question is looking at that in a different way because I think that we were looking at it only in a specific way as it pertained to the school district and not necessarily incorporating uh, Kirkwood Community College. And so thinking about that from that standpoint, I think is going to be very important. Uh, you know, it's tough, and I know that Susan talks about this as well, and you know, resources are, are tough, you know, that, um, you know, um, I think about that request. And then as soon as you said, it, I was thinking about 10 other requests that have come before council 
or via email or some other things. And so how we deliberate it, obviously, I'm open to it as well, is, is going to be very important. Uh, I would like to say, uh, to kind of go on Ryan's issue, kind of go on Ryan's pl- uh, plan, but in a separate way, is looking at this as a regional issue. Uh, I think that, you know, from Kirkwood Community College standpoint, you are a regional university and thinking about that, and also a global university as well. But look, talking to our municipalities from a funding perspective and also from a volunteer perspective as well, I think that our community has always showed up um, and shown support when they know it's a critical issue moving forward. And so making that strategic plan priority and then also uh, reaching out to communicate and communicating with the community in that particular way, I think is going to be very important as far as moving that conversation forward. And I thank you for that question. <laughs> well, I have my last slide with the um, information about voting. <laughs> yeah. Yes, election day. Um, I'm sure you all can read that. While you're reading, I'd just like to say thank you all for attending this forum. Hopefully you've gained some new insights from the folks you heard from and how they will serve our community effectively. Good luck. And thank you for Can I just say, if you have a car and are able to drive your neighbors who don't to a voting station, you should ride share and give people an opportunity to vote that don't have the opportunity to. Thank you.